Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 550 with my guest, Catherine Hahn. This is a replay of a, an interview that was originally aired in 2011, and I really, really like this interview a lot. This is my last week of vacation, so we will be back next week with a brand new episode. We are sponsored this week, as always, by BetterHelp.com Online Therapy. I enjoy crying in my recliner. Got a nice little box of Kleenex right there. I don't have to get in the car. Uh, BetterHelp has a ton of great qualified therapists. They're licensed in all 50 states. Um, their interface is easy to use, and I'm a big fan. been doing it for years. So if you're interested, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast, and then just fill out a questionnaire, and if they have a a provider that they feel is a good fit for you. They'll match you up with a counselor and then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it's your thing and you need to be over 18. And here now is that uh, replay of the interview with Catherine Hahn from 2011. Welcome to episode 83 with my guest Catherine Hahn. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that hopefully doesn't suck. I'm not a doctor, but I am a hypochondriac. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the uh, the Twitter name you can follow me at if you'd be so kind as to do that. And please go check out the website. There's all kinds of good stuff there. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can post in the forum. Uh, there's about a half a dozen different surveys you can take. Uh, I've got a new one uh, up about how have you responded in the past to sexual advances being made on you. So if you go in, uh, and take that one, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, Quick, uh, I wanted to mention about uh, the interview with with Catherine Hahn. Um, there was a couple of areas of uh, of the interview that that we kind of went into um, that uh, she requested that 
I keep private. So if it seems like there are some some things you're like, why is Paul not following up on that? It, it's for that reason. But uh, it uh, I don't think any of it is necessarily pertinent to what uh, the interview that ultimately you will hear. I, I'm very happy in its uh, its completeness and uh, really really enjoyed doing it and really enjoyed meeting her. Uh, I want to uh, plug something that a friend of mine has. I have a friend named Rich who has been working his ass off um, trying to uh, get this product marketed that uh, that he invented. And I, I believe he did it with a, you know, another person as well. Um, and when he told me what the idea was, I was like, I think people should know about that. And he's not paying me any money to... Uh, to mention this i just think you guys should should check it out he created this it's a workout towel that is uh it's made of bamboo thread and it's super it's super soft it's called zhu z-h-u which is chinese for for uh, bamboo and what it is is it's a, it's a workout towel that is made of bamboo fibers that have been spun so it's like cotton it's super soft it's super absorbent and because it's bamboo it's naturally antibacterial and bamboo is very very sustainable and here's the really cool thing about this uh this towel is at one end of it are zippered pockets so when you're working out you can keep your you know smartphone your keys whatever uh with you and uh, I just think it's a great idea, and he gave me one, and uh, and I love it. So if you want to buy one, go to getzoo.com, and again, zoo is, is spelled Z-H-U, and uh, I just think it's a great idea. So uh, how did I want to... I want to kick things off with an email that I got. This is from a um, a guy named Matt, who is a uh, vet. And he wrote this about uh, coming home. And I'll post this on the website if you uh, if you want to go there and read it as well. And uh, he opens it with a quote from uh, General Patton that says, The object of war isn't to die for your country, but to make that other poor bastard die for his. Uh, and then he writes, I remember when I decided to join the military. It wasn't for college money or to see the world or to shoot someone. I didn't think of any of that. When I joined, I did it to protect my country, my people, and my friends. I saw the planes flying into the buildings when I was in high school, and I remember feeling in my stomach that I was going to go. I've always had a problem trusting people in my life, and I wasn't going to start with a bunch of young kids holding guns. When I talked to my recruiter, I told her, I want to be the hardest, meanest, best soldier I can be. I want to be face-to-face with evildoers. She quickly signed me up for special operations and gave me a date to leave. The day I left, she drove me to my MEPS, M-E-P-S. Um, I forget what that, uh, he told me what that is an abbreviation for it. I forget. Uh, oh, it's a, it's an entrance, uh, exam that, uh, that you take. Uh, the day I left, she drove me to my MEPS and told me, have fun now, cause when you come home, everything will be different. I didn't know what she meant but I was too worried about BASIC and leaving my friends. I went through BASIC with ease, but the next year and a half of special operations training was hell. Nothing about it is easy, and they made sure of that. I won't even start to tell you the ways they tortured us, but it was all worth it to protect my people, friends, and country. I was deployed many times and saw my share of combat against the evildoers. 
I would have stayed in until I died, but after five years and a hand injury, I was released from special operations. I remember the day I knew I didn't fit into society anymore. I went to a party with some new friends because the friends I had before uh, I, before I was in the army didn't like me anymore. I wasn't on their level of partying, and I had deep thoughts about how to make this world better. They didn't want to hear that when they're drunk and high. They want to laugh. Problem was, was that they were in a state of mind continually, so when they, so when would they think about it? At this party, there was a man pushing around a woman violently, but everyone just watched. No way was I going to, so I called the man out. I told him if he hit her again that I'd break his hand. By this point, everyone was watching, but not one person stood with me. The man tried to hit me, and I broke his fucking hand, just like I promised. The girl who I stood up for called the police and tried to put me in jail. The policeman let me go and told me, that's why you mind your own business. I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs, and I'm no coward, and I won't stop helping when I see it's needed. I knew then that I wasn't like everyone else anymore. Everything has changed. I've seen my share of horrible, and I wasn't going to let it happen around me. Even if I'm the only one standing, I'll still stand. I remember the day I figured out it was all bullshit. This took about a year after I came home, but this one hit harder than anything else. I worked as a special education paraprofessional. I only took the job because I thought it would help my karma balance out. I was going through a lot, thinking about what I did to other humans in the name of my country, my people, and my friends. A country that wouldn't help me find my way or give me disability for my aching hand. The people who wouldn't stand by me when they saw injustice. The friends who didn't even want to give me a chance when I came home. I broke down, spent a week in bed crying and broke, wondering why I did any of it. I wanted to die. No question in my mind that it, I would have ended it if I'd had the right tools. Luckily, I didn't. I quit my job, but had to have some income, so I started looking into construction. That's when I finally put it all together. I looked at the customer's bill, which was $12,000. I was paid $120 for that job. 1%. That's all I made for doing 25% of the work. Well, I brought this fact up to my boss and was quickly released. Now I sit here unemployed, beaten up by the way things are, but not broken anymore. I had my time for that, and the time has passed. My quest now is a different one. I want to educate the people about what we've allowed to take control of our country and our military. Our government is just a puppet to money and greed. It used me and it will use you if it can. Big business has not only destroyed our country, it has used the people's good intentions to do horrible things. We give up our rights daily when we go to jobs that underpay and deal with bosses who treat us horribly. The hardest part about coming home wasn't losing my friends or seeing a man beat up that woman. It wasn't the thought that I killed men for no reason other than to make a rich man more wealthy. It was seeing my fellow humans not stand by my side to stop something that we all knew was wrong. It's watching my fellow Americans go to shit jobs and get treated like shit and not stand up for themselves. I'm not saying take a gun to work. I'm saying be mentally strong and say it, enough is enough and I won't be a part of this war machine or a part of making the rich richer. Demand respect. Uh, and Matt, I want to thank you for writing that and I, I want to also add that I'm not trying to politicize things by reading that that is just one soldier's take on returning home and i felt like he needed his voice to be heard and so that that is why i 
I read that. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I want to read uh, one more thing. Uh, and this, because uh, this guy, uh, the, the survey that I'm, that I'm reading um, just touched me. This, uh, this guy calls himself uh, Fiddlebutt. He is uh, bisexual. He's in his 20s, was raised in an environment that's a little bit dysfunctional, never been sexually abused. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts, he writes, every time I see some show like The Office or Parks and Recreation trying to make me sympathize with desk jockeys getting played to pay soli- play solitaire, my blood pressure spikes. I work in a warehouse running my ass off, working lots of weekends, and always getting asked to put in even more hours, and I still don't even make enough money to move out of the house. Fuck you. I'd stab myself in the thigh to get a job where I could sit on my ass and instant message my friends all day. I wish I could fuck my thoughts into their heads. Uh, what sexual fantasies are most powerful to you? He writes, I want to be dominated by a woman much taller and bigger than me, bordering on inhuman, like seven or eight feet tall. Sometimes I imagine her being firm and muscular. Other times she's fat with a soft, squeezable belly. I want her to lie on top of me and hold me by the wrists and cover me up with her body. Sorry if I'm going into too much detail here. That's okay. We we, we welcome detail on the on the surveys. I encourage people to uh uh I mean not for, you know, the sake of gratuity. I don't I don't want people to fill up pornography on the uh you know, I don't want it to be erotic fiction, but I want what it is that that you are thinking and feeling to come across, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, continuing with what he wrote, he uh, he says, other times I fantasize about cross-dressing in a public place than getting caught and being, quote, punished by another man. Uh, would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasies? He writes, I'd certainly tell people the first one, but probably not the second. Most 
mostly because I'm still not entirely sure of my sexuality. I've never been in a relationship with another man, but my mind has no problem with thinking about cocks or attractive male bodies. Deepest, darkest secrets, he writes, I spend almost all of my free time at home. I feel like I'm incapable of just going outside and being around strangers and talking to them. If I ever took a vacation, I'd probably just lay around at home, surf the internet, masturbate eight times a day, and get irresponsibly drunk. Uh, Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, I feel like an incomplete person for being so incapable of meeting people. I don't even know where to start. Sometimes I'll do things like go to a greasy spoon diner and just eat by myself with a book just to be out of the house for an hour or two, the last refuge of the shut-in and denial, so I can tell myself, well, at least I did something before I go to bed. And then the last thing that, that he he writes, uh, do you have any comments to make the mental illness happy hour uh, better? He wrote, give me $10. Everybody yeah. I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand yeah. you. Yes, yeah. awful. Yeah. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence, since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with Catherine. God damn you. God dear. damn it, I'm sorry. I'm no, fuck sorry. it. I'm just going to pack my shit up and leave. <laughs> I'm here with Catherine Hahn. I'm at uh, at her uh, her house in uh, in Los Angeles, and I'm so excited. We finally made this happen. We've been emailing back and forth. You don't know me from Adam. You're a friend of Jamie Denbo's, who was kind enough to, to agree to, to come do this podcast. Oh, I'm excited to be here. I, Are you kidding me? Half a year later. We, I was just... Uh, looking at her couch and her kids had started to draw on the couch and you said fuck it and just we were like, let fuck him. it well, what happened is i spent all this money getting it cleaned it's like a white couch and it was like stay away from the couch you have two little kids and then i sat down on it and promptly just like bled all the way through one of the, i totally got my period on the couch so after that i was like oh fuck it let's get out let's get out the markers <laughs> That's, so there's all these kids drawings all over it and it's so awesome <laughs> period blood that's underneath though we flip the cushions so you don't have to see that anyway well i guess there won't be any question about whether or not it'll be hard to get you to open up uh on the podcast people uh probably know Catherine best from um uh, well i know you best from step brothers which i think is such an underrated movie it i've watched it like five times and you are so fucking funny mm. in that she plays this emotionally abused uh, would, it, would it be fair to call your character a nymphomaniac uh, yeah i think so who who just kind of just falls in love with john yeah. c Riley? obsessive lee puts it all on this innocent man all of her unhappiness oh it's, yeah the the you have to rent it <laughs> people would also know you from anchor man um they would know you from get, name some other things that the, oh, the biggest Lord. things that people would know you from crossing jordan were you on crossing i jordan? was on a, i was on a television program called crossing jordan a different milieu yeah. um yeah i was the grief counselor in the morgue so that was fascinating right. Well, you're you're a smarty pants who uh, studied acting at Northwestern University and then went to the Yale School of Drama. Is yes. that correct? Yes. Smarty and pants. Boohoo Haven. A lot of student debt. It was not so smart to, to to go into a career in this business and accrue 
have as much student debt as if I was studying to be a doctor. <laughs> but but you've paid it off now. I've gotten you? to pay it off. <laughs> Barely. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. Do you ever get to, to do your, uh, I suppose Crossing Jordan was where you could uh, kind of use your drama uh, mm. skills? I don't know. I mean, like, I, it's, so, it's so interesting because I never, you know, got into this as a comedian. Like, I, I, I was always, I mean, I come from pretty funny stock. Like, we're, we're pretty tough on each other. There's a lot of laughing going on in my house growing up. Um, just a lot of ribbing of each other. But we, I never, I wanted, I always just wanted to be an actor. Um, starting with, I think I was, I went to Catholic school and I was Salty the Psalm book with a P.S. P.S.A.L.T.Y. <laughs> That's my first on, on stage performances. I just, I fucking loved it so much. I just love the, uns- I love the like community. Like I love the little world. Um, the like it, it play. Is a- it, it is its own kind of world yeah. and the collaboration and the oh. little community when you're doing a play. Going in, I, I hate, I like, I love the first day of rehearsal. Like I love the sharpened pencils. I love the script. I love like it. I love the like tech rehearsals. They call them like 10 out of 12, which is like 10 hours out of 12. We always feel like you're like in the, like, I just love, I love the first day of costumes. I love, I, I just fell so in love with it. So I never like went into it as, a, as, as wanting to be a comedian or an, even an improviser. Like I, that, I couldn't, would never, I mean, there are people, I would never call myself that because I feel like the people that are, it's such a gorgeous, beautiful, pure skill. Um, and the people that have like devoted so much of their lives to learning that I'm like, I'm so humbled by and so, you know, you in know, awe of. I got to interview uh, Gene Wilder. Uh, oh, a, are you kidding a, me? I, I swear to God. Yeah. It, it was at a, a sketch fest up in San Francisco and I, I was lucky enough to get to go out to dinner with him oh my the god night and sit next to him and have dinner and he said the exact same thing that you Ugh. say he did not consider himself to be funny he considered himself to be an actor and I think that's why you guys are so funny is because you play the truth of the moment <laughs> I hope so yeah I think I mean I oh yeah I mean I feel like also if, if it's root if, I always feel if it's if I'm rooted in the something that's the given like if i know who i am if i have a pov then it's easier to improvise that way like i mean the the worst is to go in and just i mean the you know some people would feel like that's a gorgeous challenge but i it's always harder for me when it's like from literally nothing like i if i know who i am then it's easier to go in you know i like you know i like a costume i like a funny nose i like you know all that (laughs) business you know and I, it's easy when then when that happens, then it's easier to improvise in scene. I think, but yeah, I'm just in awe of it. I'm in awe of comedians. Like I'm, in, I'm just really am. Like I stand up is just, I just am in awe. Like I really am. Like it's the most terrifying thing to me to think of that. You have you have to really feel a, a need in your bones to to do it because it is kind of insane to oh. to say I'm going to have all these people quiet down. Yeah. And I'm going to go up there and justify them paying $12. Sitting in the dark. Yeah. Tell me something new. Yeah. Let it, me see something in a new. Uh, yeah, no, it's in it's um it's like awe-inspiring. And even when it doesn't work, you're just like Oh, man, it's like the mo- it's just beautiful to me. Like I really it just it just kills me. I love right. it. But that that the desperation underneath it, <laughs> yes. you would not be in in awe of, because <laughs> I think that's what 
the desperate need to be heard. To be is, heard, of yeah, course. Yeah. Um, but let's let's talk about you know what what I know about you so far is you're a super nice person and apologies flow out of you like your period blood. Exactly. What? Where do you think that that comes from? Was oh, was there Lord. alcoholism in your yes. in your family? Yeah, I just I'm just I'm reading a book right now called Codependent No More. Yeah, yeah. A lot are of you it. identifying with it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, I am. I am. I am like the mo- probably the most codependent person now that I'm realizing. And I'm. It's hard. It's interesting to go through it because to start to realize this now because I have two kids and I certainly don't want to, you know, I, I pass any of that on because I think my mom. I think I'm sure I got a lot of it from my mom as well. There's yeah, definitely alcohol alcoholism in my family and mental, mental illness. So like, there's a lot of. Uh, I think I was like the cl- I was. I'm the oldest. And the only girl, I think there's a lot of, um, how many kids, three of two younger brothers. And I think, um, there's a lot of tap dancing on my part. Talking about like the, the comedian on the stage. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, lot of tap dancing. A lot of like trying to keep all the plates in the air for everybody. If I can, if I can keep the silence, the uncomfortable yes. silence from happening, yeah. we, we won't have to deal with the elephant shitting on right. the dinner table. No, si- yeah. Silence is. Painful. painful so like there was a, that's why there was a lot of i mean we had a great time like underneath it it's so interesting now like i grew up in cleveland um you know normal like suburban adorable white wooden house like so perfect from the outside like went to the catholic school up the street because it was like the cheapest private education probably <laughs> And also, again, there was like that community, like parents had the couples club they would do for Tuesday, like we all vacationed together. We all like, you know, there was a group, you know, that went to Catholic school all the way through high school. Were your your parents practicing Catholics? I mean, like socially practicing, you know, when we, I mean, when I was growing up, it was more so, and I think more so because it was like, again, like social, you know, like we, you know, we, we fasted, but like for like. You know, did you I, eat? I could make it for three hours, and I was like, "Oh, isn't that horrible?" We had something. This is awful. Oh, when I think about it, we had something called rice bowl, rice bowl Fridays, in which they gave us the nuns would give us rice for lunch, so we could feel what it was to be poor or to live in mm-hmm. like a poor country. But we could yet put as much butter on it as we wanted, or right. salt, because we could just have that. I mean, it was so awful, awful. Like you think about that now, it's like what. Rice Bowl Fridays. So did you do uh, eight, eight years? In- yeah, uh, more so. Like, did you yeah, do high school I, I, too? Yeah, high school too. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school. So it was like uniforms my whole life. That that it, That's actually why I went to the public high school because I had tired of Did you go to Catholic years. school? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. I did. Um, but the Catholic high school is, has always kind of fascinated me, especially when it's all one sex. Yes. What, what what are some snapshots that stand out in your mind? Oh, a couple of great ones. Sister Deborah, our directress. Um, uh, what what are some of those? My mom thought I was gonna, I think, grow like seventeen sizes in the four years. So I was always, I looked like a Hasidic. Like I, my skirt was so long because I think she thought I was gonna that the other girls would run over and just like literally pull it off me. <laughs> like just always pantsed, always. I would always open up my locker and there would just be a dick, some sort of cutout dick to hit me in the face like we were just gross girls like we would you know there was like a little you know lake uh, in the middle of the campus and you know inevitably it would just be filled with people's like maxi pants and tampons like awful 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 we learned what else did we do i mean there's so much mrs gaddis was our biology teacher 
What are some other snapshots? We I, we did a production. Is, is of there Annie. anything? Is there anything you want to elaborate on those on those two people that you mentioned? So yes, Sister Deborah was our our directress. Uh, as I mentioned, I was a, I had been doing theater in, loosely at the Cleveland Playhouse, which is our like which was like the you know downtown theater or whatever. So I, I had done a play called Sneakers. So I thought I was. <laughs> Really had made it. Cleveland Playhouse is a pretty big deal. It was, but it I, is. It's, it's not. A, it's there's something. It's every you all. The Cleveland Clinic has taken over like half of the theaters now, and it's like a parking lot. And they used to have this awesome rep company of like grown up just Cleveland actors that I worshipped. And then they started getting people from New York. And Tom Hanks performed there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, at Cleveland Playhouse. Exactly. Paul Newman. Like a lot. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of people. The, the, and it's the most beautiful theater. It was the old theater was like you know the, those little like in my mind and like the dream theater in my head it was like this little tiny black this little tiny proscenium like all brick with like a ghost light just on the stage and it was like you know that that smell I so, loved it so uh, yeah sister-, sister Deborah she directed us in a production of we did Annie my freshman year in which I played Annie with a clown wig on just a red clown wig on and my friends Laura Ashley dress. <laughs> And her sister Deborah's dentist played Daddy Warbucks. He was the only gentleman in the cast. And as my mother would say, it was worse than what can I listening to that man try to screech his way through tomorrow. That was my mom's assessment. <laughs> we did uh, Wizard of Oz. I played the Tin Man. Um, I think I had, you know, a funnel on my head. <laughs> and then we did, of course, Godspell, an all-female version of Godspell, where I played probably Judas. Or the slut, I can't remember her name, who tempts Jesus, who is my friend Bernadette. <laughs> so it's a kind of a awesome lesbian undertones, which I'm sure Sister Deborah was so excited by. It was was uh, Sister Deborah a closet lesbian? I'm yes, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And it, it must have been a, you know the you know yeah, yeah, you know it's so funny like we you know, we were I can't even remember the order. Like who, because you know how there's the different, I guess, but my brother went to the, you know, my brothers went to St. Ignatius, which was the brother school, and they were taught by, um, I can't remember the great, Jesuits? Mm-hmm. They're like the really good educators, apparently. Or apparently, yeah. everybody thought they were like incredible educators, but we would always laugh, because like, his freshman year reading list was like, Iacocca, like the <laughs> Iacocca biography, and we were like, why? So weird. Wow. Yeah, just like capitalism. Yeah. Right off the bat. <laughs> Exactly. Cut uh, your hair. So sad. It was so so homophobic and so like it's so weird. What What do you remember emotionally from uh, grade school and high school? What do you remember thinking or, or, or feeling about about yourself or the people around you or your place in the world? I I mean, oh, I think I I never felt in my skin like I never felt like I was saying what I meant, if that makes any sense. I still feel yeah. like I have a hard time saying what I mean. Like, I think so much of me is still trying to, like, say what people want to hear. And that's an awful thing. Totally when you're a mom. Like, I'm so all this stuff is coming up now because I'm thinking, like, I just, I really want my kids to be able to say what they mean is like easy as that sounds like for some reason for me. Well, now, not for some reason, we probably know why like, it was the hardest thing for me to do. It was like deflect, 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 and just get, I just wanted people on, I just wanted, it's not like I wanted people on my side, I wanted to be on their teams. <laughs> like, it was like, I just, uh, it was interesting. So I think I, I that was a, definitely a way of like, 
isolating myself, I think, because I didn't really have to get close to it, but nobody really knew who I was because I didn't know who I was. So it was like, I didn't really even have like very close friends. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I stayed a girl for a really long time. Like I, I my, my mom, of course, like enabled, not enabled, in the sweetest way. Like I, when I was, I remember being like 12, like a little too old, like buying doll stuff and keeping it under my bed. Like it was my secret with my mom. So that I would like, when I was in like early high school, I would want to like still be a kid. Like I had a, it was, it was really a, um, the thought of growing up was terrifying to me. Like terrifying. I didn't want to like, you know, when your friends all of a sudden start, you know, wanted to go out on the weekend, I would be so torn as to like, I would wanted to be home. Like I didn't, it was very hard. Like I knew I had to, like I knew if I did, if I did this, that meant I could get through like, you know, socially in school, I would be covered. Like it would go a long way if I, but I would rather had been at home with my mom. What, what do you think you were afraid of that was out there or what was it that drew you to, to being home? <sighs> oh, yeah. I mean, my, uh, my, uh, I think I think I was I think I was protecting my mom. I think I was afraid to leave her and also like I just uh, we had so many that we didn't even talk about. There was our family had a lot of secrets like and so we were trying on the outside to be this like totally normal functioning family and I think inside we but, but you know inside the house we were anything but and we knew it and so i think there was always that push pull that we never talked about but i remember seeing blue velvet in the opening of it where they have the rock and they, and they, and they pan down yes. into the earth and you see all the yes. bugs i so related to that i too. so i saw I, that and i was like how did he get inside my mind yeah i knew exactly what he meant totally in that. yeah that was like that's what i felt like our child it was like the most beautiful like i'm telling you you'd see my house and it was like this perfect like my bedroom like was so girly and it was like it was uh, i mean it was the uh, it was like a dollhouse and we were none of us could really handle like i i think also like my my parents uh, how do i say it in a way that's like respectful because I, because everybody's doing the best they can god knows but i feel like they definitely my mom was more of a friend than a mom. So I felt like I had this like incredible responsibility to everybody, I think. God, that's huge. That's huge. It's exhausting, especially when, well, especially when you're that young. And I'm not saying like, they, she's amazing and she's had, you know. Uh, so many parents in that generation didn't know that their kids aren't supposed to be their best friend. Yeah, I they know. They didn't. They didn't know that. Right. And she would send me cartons of cigarettes. Like that was like our thing. Was to, like smoke together. I think of that, and I yeah, all my friends used to be like, "Your mom's the coolest." Like my fresh my freshman year of college. It's only now, now that I have two little kids. I'm like, wow, that is so interesting. What do you think you would have liked to have said out loud in your in your family when you were a kid? <sighs> If nobody's feelings would have been hurt. <laughs> I mean, probably would have said, like, I need a, I, I need a parent. Like, I'm, I can't take care of your feelings. 
and try to figure out who I am at the same time. You know, because I, then I think that's what happened. Like, I think I was so caught. And that's not to say like she wasn't, but that either of them weren't like, ama- you know, available and, but it definitely was, it, I think, it, I think you're right. I think a lot of parents, it's that same, um, a lot of my, a lot of that generation is the same thing. Like where you're not quite sure. Like they, I read a, another book called, which has nothing to do with, but called, it was called like covert incest or something, which it has nothing to do with being with anything sexual. It's just that when the relationship is not, um, the, it's not as, it's not a parent child. It's like, it's more complicated. Like the parent needs something f- from the child. The the parents needs come ahead of the child's yeah. needs that. Yeah. Or that. they're looking to, or where a parent is trying to have a substitute spouse in their child because their own partner is, they don't feel connected to that person or they don't. So I, yeah, I feel like that's, that's really common. And it's really, um, I don't want to sound over dramatic, but it's really, it leaves a lot of scars. Yeah. Um, scars certainly, well, scars make it sound like it's something that can't be healed, but it, it leaves a lot of, uh, let's put it this way, kind of little cuts on your soul. Yeah. But doesn't it take to growing up for even to like, or I, I mean, cause I didn't even, I'm telling you, if, if you'd asked me at 18, I would have been like, I have the greatest family. Like I, all I want to do is spend time with them. Like how lucky are we? that we want a vacation together. Like how many mothers and daughters want to spend this time together? How many, how many family units want to be together? Like, and you realize like there's a lot of other reasons behind that need to be together than just, are you so uncomfortable yeah. in that chair? No, I'm oh, totally comfortable. Good. I'm glad. I was just going to say that so often I, I hear people's stories and they're afraid to have compassion for themselves because what they experienced at the time didn't feel awful. Right. Um, people that were uh, sexually molested, maybe their body got some type of enjoyment out of it. People that were a best friend to a, a parent, there was a, a feeling of, you know, being um, involved. Yes. Um, but as you get older, you realize that there were things that were supposed to form inside you that didn't get a chance to form, a recognizing of your needs, an inability to ask for your needs and yeah. be comfortable with oh, it. Oh, God. Exactly. I think you and I are very alike and that we're terrified of looking selfish. Yeah. Yeah. I really am. Like, at hor- like I, I hear somebody say something positive about themselves and I'm like, wow, I really wish I could, like say that about myself <laughs> like i couldn't imagine it it's the, the 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 biggest fear that i have is that people are talking about me and saying how selfish i am Ugh. i would rather die i'm telling you me too what is wrong i mean exactly that is exactly yeah the thought of other like other and i remember having like i remember some therapist being oh my god that's fascinating not some therapist my mother saying um what they think about you is none of your business and I remember being like, that is an amazing thing to say that I will never feel. <laughs> it sounds like she's in some type of recovery. Is she in some type of recovery? No. Oh, because that's a... I know. I don't know where she got that, but she said that was something that she said to me. And I was, I mean, she's like, yeah, I know. 
She's a, it's, she's an amazing, amazing. But I mean, my family's so amazingly like screwed up. Like whose isn't? And I mean, it's like, but we were having Christmas this year, I think this year for the first time, I'm not going to let my family to Cleveland because it's too much and it's too expensive. And you know, my poor kids think that Santa, everything is from Amazon because the only way I can like ship toys is to like go through Amazon. So like mm-hmm. under the tree, there's just like a, like a sea of that blue wrapping paper with <laughs> like bad tags. <laughs> So anyway, everybody's coming here this year, but I'm telling you, it's my, my mom, my brother, and my dad. They've been divorced for, I can't tell you how long, we're all, they're all coming here. I mean, are, amazing. We're are still... You, are you stressed or are you happy? No, I think it's going to be, I'm actually excited that it's, I mean, in terms of like growth or whatever, like I feel like, okay, it's on our turf. Like I, I'm taking care of what, what my family needs. Still, still can't say what I need, but like what my family needs, you know, me and my kids and my hubby. It was what we, so I, and they were, they were great. It was hard. The thought of asking them was harder. And then when they said, of course, I thought, well, what's wrong with me? And honestly, like, what's the worst that can happen if you just ask for what you want? You know what I mean? It's so stupid. You, you can be, you can be ridiculed or told that you were selfish. <laughs> right, right. You know? I, Are you the type of person that lays in bed and I like worrying about what you said? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Isn't that stupid? Don't you want all that time back? Yeah, well, you know. What do we do, Paul? <laughs> I need to sleep. Well, for me, I, you know, I had to go to therapy and I have to go to support groups and and because I need that that feedback on an almost daily basis to say to be reminded that I have value, that I'm worth something cuz there was just a lot of messages that were kind of pounded into my head, sometimes verbally, sometimes just by a lack of something yeah. that makes me feel like I'm, I'm not, my needs aren't aren't worthy, and to ask for them would be to would would be selfish. Yeah, and that fear of that is it's so deep. It's so deep. It's so deep. And then you think, man, we're not young people. Like this is the time. What's the worst that can like when we are on the deathbed, it's just us. Like, well, in my mind, the worst that happens is that person then goes tells everybody else, "Hey, did you hear what this selfish oh, prick God, did? What this selfish prick wants?" Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Did your parents ever call you selfish? Hmm. Was there was was? I mean, yeah. I don't remember. Like, I mean, I definitely in high school when that like pull away start is happens to every you know that's like a, a human beings um path like they have to like but it was so hard was your mom resisting you pulling away yeah yeah do you remember how she would resist it well she would get like sad or you know she or she kept calling like I'll all like all it's always my little girl like I'm never like she I literally had a newborn in my arms and she was like look at your little baby hands about me like I will always be her baby girl you know even though I feel like so much of the time now I feel like I'm taking care of her oh my god I know it's crazy it's it's intense it's it's crazy and the the thing that that bothers me about 
because I just recognize that my mom has been doing that m- m- my whole life is she refers to, she infantilizes me. Yeah. And she refers to me like an object. Mom's cutest, mom's sweetest, mom's little <laughs> peachy rose. Oh, God. And, and as I read, and I, I believe that my mom's a, a borderline. And as I read about it. Does she know that? No. Okay. She has no, she has no idea. Um, it, there's a sense of comfort that she gets from me remaining an object because then I'm like a vessel right. for her to get emotions that keep her afloat. Right. Right. Do you right. do you feel like that? Yes. And I feel like if I don't grow up then she doesn't grow up. You know what I mean? Like she's she's if she can keep because I think that it has gotta be scary. Like I I don't think you ever I mean, because I, you know, at 39, I'm like, I, I still feel v- very much connected to like the 14 or 15 year old girl. Like, I, I still, it's very hard for me to think that I'm like, an, and I think every person thinks that they are, that they are, that they are singular in that feeling. Like, I think every every adult walks around thinking like, I'm so, I have such a young spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I really feel like every, like, I just think that's like, I'm sure that when I'm like. I'm going to have flashes now of like, oh, that's a different, like I'm, I, you know, all of a sudden it happened so fast. Like, I don't quite know where I'm going with this train of thought, but I remember like thinking the eighth graders were like, I would never be that big. Like I would just never. And then all of a sudden it's like, time just goes faster and faster and faster. Like I, I. I remember my mom turning 35 and being like, she is, wow, she's so old. I remember she cried on her 35th birthday. I have like a very specific memory because we took a Polaroid picture of all of us holding a sign saying, you're 35, happy birthday. And she was really offended. Really? She thought my dad had done it as a way of a jab at her being 35. Were they They were obviously not in like the greatest of marital state. How old were you when they got divorced? old i was like 29 i mean it was a long time coming like our lore like the mythology of our family was that my parents met and got married three months later and my mom always says it was because it was the first man that she had ever dated that had a college degree because <laughs> he went to <laughs> he went to notre dame and her part like i remember growing up with the story of like you know I remember putting my flowers down on the altar thinking this is a terrible mistake. Like that was like a, that was like what we had heard. Would she say that in the presence of your oh, dad? Oh, the time. They were like the Bickersons, but hilarious. Like they were a great comedy team. Like they were I, I mean, cuz she has a great biting like I I mean, she's hilarious. Like her one line, she's hilarious. And but they always um they were so socially they were amazing like people loved having them over they were but they just never should have been together was there ever i'm just going to move your mic a tiny bit closer okay was there ever a a sense of affection between them yeah and intimacy absolutely and they came together like a lot of you know when they um i mean you know to be totally i don't know what i think they just kind of cohabitated after a while like, you know when you feel like you're just trapped? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're like, I, I like this, this, like my thoughts, like I can't, like I literally can't sleep. Like I, I just feel like I'm having a hard time. Like sometimes I go these periods of like having a hard time relating to people because 
it's so trapped in my own. And it feels almost false yes. to, to be talking about anything but that. Yes. Or you get fixated on something like, and my sweet husband, who's got like the, the patience of saying like, he'll, you know, I'll get, even decisions are so hard for me because I'm afraid that I'm going to let the other person down, whatever. It's like, you know, what it's, what it is, what it is. But it's interesting. Like I definitely think about it sometimes like, huh. And I haven't been to, we used to, I used to go to therapy all the time and just, um, my husband, I love couples therapy, even though like the first 20 minutes is usually us like, like figuring out schedule for the week with like the, <laughs> the guy just kind of staring at us, the counting is tra- counting his money and then we kind of get into it and then it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I've been to a hypnotherapist before, which was fascinating. Um, but yeah, it would be great. I think I definitely should get in. What was the th- hypnotherapist like? You know, it's so funny, Paul. Like, I did not know it was going to be a hypnotherapist. Like, I, I, <laughs> she was recommended when I was pregnant with my second, with my daughter. I had like a rough birth the first time around, and so I was like, I'm going to really, this is, I'm going to do it. This is going to be on my terms. Like again, everything we've been talking about. Like, I'm going to have my birth. I'm not going to say I have a doctor. To, whatever, all that g- stuff that you think you're in control of, when in fact. That's like the first lesson of parenting is like, oh, literally out of completely out of my control. Um, how this person is going to announce our arrival. But I went to someone to recommend this doula recommended this therapist who ended up being a hypnotherapist and she was incredible. The first time was not successful. It was, it was, I really tried hard. Like I faked it basically. I basically was like, oh my mm-hmm. God, you are such a people pleaser. I know. Faked my own. Like hypnotherapy, yeah. like I made up. I like told her what I, what I thought she'd want me to see on the big dark staircase to, going down. Yeah, because that's that's less scary than having to confront that she might be ineffective, I and then know. she might feel bad about herself. I oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, totally, totally. Gotta gotta keep everybody from feeling bad about yes. themselves. Yes. Oh my God, this is such a call to arms, this little, this podcast today. Cause it's true. It's like, I, time, it's like, it's going way too fast for this nonsense. I'm telling you, what did my son say the other day that I was like, uh oh. Oh, his dear, his closest friend bit him on the nose. And he was so betrayed. My son was so, um, understandably betrayed by that. He was horrified. He couldn't believe that he would hurt him that way it was more of a surprise it was out of the kid did it out of anger he was so so hurt and he cried very hard and then ethan my husband said that he had all of a sudden had turned it and that he didn't want will to not be his friend anymore like he was afraid of pushing will away by having such a strong reaction about being bit on the nose i was like oh my god he's not even fucking six like got it we got it this this is now is the time yeah. I do not want that. Like, I don't know how that's learned because he probably sees me apologizing to everybody. You know, it, it, I believe it can be it, it can be learned. But, you know, when you talk about s- still feeling like you're 13 or 14, that that is, I think, what happens in the absence of learning the, the, the tools that some other adults were either shown or. Yeah, got and right. I, I relate to that so uh, much. I mean, the, the feeling like when somebody will call you sir. I imagine when somebody calls you ma'am, the, the, you know, it's sometimes you you just want to go. You don't understand what a fucking child I am. Yeah. Oh my god. Exactly. Yeah. 
I've been playing video games for 14 hours. I haven't showered. <laughs> I am not a sir. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it's crazy. Like I, I, like, I was having with a girlfriend because, you know, in some of those fashion magazines that have like, what looks good on, and then it says like 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old. I'm like, I'm still looking at the 20, like, I'm still looking like the 20s. Like, I just, there's no business to be even seen in any of those clothes. But I immediately flipped to the, like, it's just crazy. Like, the 30 already looks like a little, like, dowdy and matronly. And it's like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm going to be 40. It's, it's, it's so weird. It's so weird. What are, what are some common, uh, negative thoughts that you have, uh, towards yourself? Um, oh. I sound like I'm such bad news on this. I feel I hear here's some negative thoughts. Um, you know, the basic. Like not pretty enough, not, you know, should have got that nose job when I had the chance. <laughs> it's way too late now. <laughs> Although it would be amazing if it was all of a sudden I was like, just, hey. Um, uh, God, not in, I, 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 I still don't feel like I'm, you know, it's a rare is the time that I'm like, I've nailed it. You know, I uh, wish a, a job, you mean yeah. a performance or like, yeah, like a get like something. I, I still feel like I'm wish I was a better actor. Um, Forget about the fact that your IMDb list is gigantic. <laughs> You've got three We're nuts, projects. Though. I just looked at it last night. You've got three projects that are in post-production <laughs> right now. That's, That's as I, busy as people get. I know, and, and you just never... But I mean, like, there's... I know, all of it. Like, I feel like I'm not... I've, of course, like, not funny enough. Like, I'm not, you know... Or that I'm... I'm not invested enough as a mother. Like... You know, what are some negative thoughts? Oh my god, honey, I could go on and on and on. So I feel sometimes I feel like I'm, I was more. I wish I was more sincere. Like I wish that I, like it all goes back to the thing we said at the beginning. Like I wish I was said what I meant and felt okay with it. You know. Can you think of any times that you were insincere and what you would have liked to? have sincerely said in your life? Oh. Yeah. I mean, there's so many times. I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, can you give me any examples? Here's a, a, like a professional, like a business one or whatever. Like I wish that I had been able to tell a very important TV network exec exactly what I thought of the pilot. Um, instead of just feeling like I had to just, smother fake like yeah it's great and then because then maybe i could have not done it or it would have been better do you know what i mean if i had trusted my voice if i trusted like what i had thought what would you have said if you i mean like why why does everything need to be underscored like why does there need to sound like there's a four-piece band behind everything that we do like why can't you just trust the joke like why do you have to have the dumb sound effects like i hate them i hate when music is put behind scenes because it's like you don't Me trust too. it yeah it's so condescending so condescending i wish um you know there's been plenty of times i wish i had had the balls to ask for one more take at the risk of offending the crew 
you know, for the betterment of, of the thing as a whole. Um, I wish, you know, I've been in, uh, in the situ in the position of being like this, this, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth banana to like the lead. And so much of my energy is making that person feel beautiful, hilarious, funny, perfect. And I so sometimes wish, wish, because I feel like sometimes they, you know, I sometimes wish I had been able to, um, you know, who am I like not to tell them what I think of what they're doing. Like that's not my business, but just, I don't know, I guess like not try so hard. Like what who cares? Because it's not like we are talking now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like it's not like we forged this friendship that lasted. Like I don't know. It's like wasted energy. Like I feel like I've, there's a lot of wasted energy. I mean, I wish in my life I was able to do that with friends. Like I wish I had the guts to just to just say goodbye to friendships that are not healthy yeah. instead of this weird dragging along, which is not fair to anybody. It's not fair to them because they're like, you know. I wish I could say what I meant to somebody and then not feel like I had to take care of the person's feelings after it. I'm bad at confrontation. Like I wait. It's like the codependent, like city. You wait until too much builds up and then you let it out and then it's like the wrong time. And the words are poorly chosen. Totally. And the intensity is way off the no, charts. No, it's so stupid. I know. Now, thank God I have the most patient husband in the world. It's gonna- I sound like a real catch in this particular <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I really do. I really do. Who wants to sign up? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> They're going to be lining up. <laughs> you you are like so many people, Catherine. You, you, it's, I, I think your, your honesty is so awesome. And I think that's, that's the most attractive uh, thing in, in, in other people <laughs> is the ability to laugh at the things about ourselves that we wish were different. Yeah. Instead of trying to hide them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Yeah. You know, go, going back to the thing about talking to the, you know, the, the star, making them feel funny and beautiful and all, and all that other stuff. Uh, I was picturing that in my head and picturing what it would be like if you didn't say those things to those people and is it that that silence would kill you to just be there silently waiting for the camera to roll yes yes because it's not my business i'm not gonna say i know how to do it better or it's not like i know i should be the one direct like none of that although sometimes i feel that i'm sure you do too like you know there's plenty of things where you're like oh but i i don't know why i need to fill that with because then I think so much of it, like you lose your power, like you, you, you lose your own power if you diffuse it, you know, if you give it away, if you give something away that's not true, then you just feel like there's been so many, like I, I remember doing projects where like the vibe on the set was not great or what, so I felt like I was tap, again, tap dancing for, ev- for the crew, for everybody to make everybody have it because I, I, I don't like, there's a lot of people that like working in tension, like I, I just can't, like I don't know how you get good work that way, like I don't know how... I don't know how, I just don't know how any, how you, how the, how whatever the product is going to be better if people are scared. Like, I just feel like if the loose around it, it's not to like fuck around, 
while the camera's not rolling, but I, I do feel like some of that is really valuable because it helps everybody just open up and feel safe and you can't just got to jump off, you know. I love that feeling when everybody's like, everybody, crew, everybody is, you know, there's nothing, there's the, the worst feeling is when you feel like you're separated from the camera for the crew because they're all, again, like it's that feeling we're all in it together. Like, I, you know, then you just think you're doing something so dead. Like, and it just is heavy and light. like, I hate that feeling. So, yeah, I guess, um, I guess so much of the, I, I, I did one thing I remember where I was like the worst vibe and I spent so much time taking care of everybody's feelings that then when it was time for me, you know, to be on camera, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like atrocious. <laughs> Cause I just like had not spent any energy on the work that I was supposed to be doing. It was like a dumb rookie move. Like I, I just like was, I just did not spend time on my business, what I was supposed to be doing. Um, uh, I've mentioned this analogy before, but I, I love it so much. I can't remember who it was that uh, told me about it, but they use the analogy of when you're flying, if there's an emergency in, in an airplane and you're with a child, what you they tell you to do yeah. is put your mask on first because yeah. otherwise you have no use to those around you if you don't yeah. take care of yourself first. Isn't that an awesome? I know. Yeah. I know. It's so, yeah, exactly. And like I know, I, I know like I'm a good person. I know I'm a kind person. I like, I know I'm a decent human being. Um, the thing I'm most proud of, I think, is that my kids are decent people like I think they're both have good they have I just want them I just see it's so tricky I want them to be empathetic but not to lose themselves you know what I mean it's like a hard thing because I'm are but how am I even going with this and like but I it's a weird um I don't know where I was going with that Paul to be honest do you do you trust that they'll get there on their own? Not, not that yeah. not that you need to be absent, but that you don't need to micromanage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not like I. I it's so interesting. Like I did. I thought I was going to be much more, but I'm not. Like I. I. I um. I just realized what a stupid question that is. No, like you, you're like you would say yes, Paul. I'm going to need to micromanage like, their lives. I actually did an interview once with someone like, "Are you like a hands-on mother?" I was like, "What if I said I was a hands-off mother? Like, how good would that be?" I was like, "No, I, I would call myself hands-off." Yeah. I find them to be a little tiring. I'm the one. That <laughs> I haven't needs seen the nap. them in years. <laughs> I farmed them out, but they are. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like, I thought I was going to be much more. Maybe it's because of how I don't know. Like, the, you know. For all of like our codependents, like growing up, like we really like you know, I'm sure you did this too. Like I I, I got home from school, my parents didn't see me until after, like until dinner, and then they. So, I mean, we, I we just had so much freedom. Like we didn't have classes. Like we didn't have crap after school. We didn't have like, we just you know, childhood needs to like. Someone said that to me. They're like, childhood needs to breathe. And I was like, it does. Like you just in in that when you find like, do you remember going so deep into pretend like playing so pretend? Oh yeah. And I can see it now happening with them. And like, you don't want to interrupt it because it's like oh, the most beautiful thing like that. And, it's, and so many kids, their lives are so highly structured because their parents are afraid their kids aren't going to be successful, successful. if they don't achieve and, and 
you know, hop enough hurdles. And, and yet they, they need to be kids. They need to, yeah. they need that free time to be creative and to experiment yeah. and to, and I think to make mistakes and learn from their mistakes, Absolutely. not be protected from no, making mistakes. I know that's the hard thing, but you're right. Like he has to, he has to get hurt. Like they both have to fall down. They have to fall I could help. in love and get their hearts broken. I could help. I you could, could? I can. I, I can sit them down and I can go through their flaws once a week. We, if you, if you, you could, need, if you could do one of these podcasts with my six-year-old. Yeah, I think you would be. It would be fascinating. <laughs> or you could just really quickly just rip a bandaid off of his <laughs> his knee and slap him. <laughs> That's fine. So uh, you're not you're not uh, currently in any kind of therapy. No. Uh. Uh-uh, uh. But I have to be. I mean, I feel like it would be. I don't. I, it's been a. Uh, yeah, I should be. I really should. I know. I don't know what's wrong. I feel like maybe it's because I've been, I just haven't been around. So like any free time I have, I feel like I want to be here. You know, I feel like there are a lot of codependent human beings. I agree. Especially maybe in this line of work because we're so dependent on other people's feelings. And we grew up being performers. Yes. What, not what do I need? What does this situation right. need? Right. Which right. is what a scene right. is, is what does this situation right. need? What do I want? What am I going to do to get what I want? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, it's much easier to play a selfish character than to, than to act. venture into asking for your own needs. That's, I think that's why uh, dislikable characters are so much fun to play. I love it. I know. Me too. I agree. I love it because I, because it's, I, I love, yeah, I love being in a person that says exactly what they want to say at all times. Like I feel really, and I feel like I could, I can do it. Like I feel, I love the feeling of it. I love, I love being in like an uninhibited what, space. D- describe for me like a dream moment. If there weren't repercussions and people's feelings wouldn't get hurt, give me, give me some, uh, some moments of w- how you'd like to carry yourself. Like, um, I would, I'd love to be able to like look, to look people in the eye. Um, stand up straight. I really haven't even perfected the art of just standing up straight, like owning my space. Like taking space and being okay. Instead of having space. an apologetic posture. Yeah, my last doctor called it the Hamburglar. Like I'd walk around like, hey, like, <laughs> I, like it's like ridiculous. Like she was like, here comes Han the Hamburglar, because I was like, could, wouldn't even like, couldn't even just stand up. She's like, kind of crouching over yes, her right now. Like just and, own yeah. being like a woman, a mother, just being okay with being, because I am okay with being my age. Like I, I, I actually feel like I've earned it. Like I feel actually, I, I feel better than I have. Like I, I feel closer to who I am now than I did actually. But I, I think I'd love to be able to just take my space and have confidence. Like I would love to be able to have more confidence. And it's tricky because a part of me, like, you know, we're, we're astute enough people to know that having that lack of confidence is helpful. Right. I think it's helpful. Like I, I, I have to believe that, that, when you feel satisfied, it takes away something, hunger-wise, or 
I would disagree. Drive-wise. Please tell me. I, I, well, the re- I think your love of the craft is not going to disappear if you get confidence. Yeah. In fact, if anything, it'll give you more, uh, this sounds such a pretentious way of saying it, more colors in your palette to, to paint as an actor because you will have lived that experience and you will know, or, or maybe you can picture it and you can play that. Yeah. I don't know, but it, it, when I've worked on myself, it has never made me not want to be creative. It's just made what I want to create different. Yeah. So I, I, I okay. think, I think a lot of people use that as an excuse, um, because they're, af- they're afraid to go deep down into the icky and to have to deal with that. And it's easier to say, well, this kind of drives me, you know, this insecurity. It, yeah. It drives me. But, the side effects, it's like one of those pills that they advertise where, you know, the last 10 minutes of the ad are all these side effects. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, maybe you get a hard-on from it, but, you know. Yeah, but you could literally, you're just going to have nothing but diarrhea for right. a year. I mean, that's my that's my take. Yeah. I, I'm certainly no expert uh, No, uh, I hear you, Paul. On this. But then it's like, it's so interesting. Like, I heard somebody talk about the, uh, something they did so confidently and again all i heard was that it was being cocky or humility and then i was like it's so, this is such a weird thing because it does take this business because it does take a specific bird to be able to sell what they've made pitch whatever the verb again <laughs> such a grandma in front of a group of people trust it and then like what do you do then if it is not received <laughs> in the way that you that's just life but like, so my go-to hit forever is if I underplay, then I don't have much to lose if, if and when they don't dig it, which is awful way to think, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like an awful way, like short, short change yourself. If you're like, you know, uh, it's all if right. I it's all if right, I don't if I, risk by yes. putting energy out, then I won't be hurt as yeah. badly. I think that's, I think that's pretty normal. Yeah. To, to, to feel that way. I, I certainly relate totally to that. But getting back to the point about the, about the confidence thing, I think the, the myth there is that confidence and humility exclude each other. But right. I don't, I don't right. think at all. No, I don't think they need to either. Uh, I know. But in our heads, in our insecure heads, we're I so know. afraid of even coming close to the line. I know. Of where confidence goes into cocky. Yeah. That. Yeah. That I know. we stay a hundred yards back going, oh, no, you first, you first, yeah. you first, you first. Yeah. Like, I'd rather do that than take my place in line. I know. But then we miss, I think we miss out on uh, on things. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times when we're, when we're trying to fill that silence where we're afraid of something, maybe that person's going to say something that our tap dancing, we're tap dancing over that. Yes. That person, maybe there's something we need to hear. Exactly. I, if you li- if you listen to the probably the first 15 episodes of this podcast, it's it's hard to listen to because I steamroll people. Oh, uh, really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and it's I'll get emails from people that are like furious at, at me. But now they they're saying, "Oh, it's nice you're not doing it as, as much, but I didn't even realize I was doing that 
until I started editing it. I started getting those emails. I'm sure I did it a couple of times in our interview here today. But the point is, I didn't feel that. when I first started in the interview, letting there be more silence, it felt so incredibly awkward. <laughs> it felt so weird. And now I'm getting more comfortable with it. And in that space, I'm getting things from listeners that I, or from uh, guests that I wouldn't have gotten if I had been tap dancing in that, right. in that silence. But it does feel weird at first. And I think the point I want to make is just because it feels weird at first doesn't mean it's not good. Right. It's just our old coping skill freaking out. It's freaking on us. out. Oh, it's so true because even if you were, I mean, even to start thinking about any kind of improvised scene, if you let it sit for a second, you know, that's where the surprise, that's it's, where like it, it deepens and that's where the surprise comes. And it's like its own natural rhythm just appears yeah. instead of trying to force a rhythm on it because you're afraid it's going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul, that confidence and humility thing I'm going to be thinking about a lot because I know we both, I mean, I don't know if you do, but I, I know I'm assuming that we, you know, we, we must have a fair amount of confidence in us. Yeah. Some, right? We're confident. Yeah, to be people. performers? Yes. To right. get in front of a room full of people and say, right. here's the choice I made about this script, and I think it's worthy of you watching. Right. Yeah, that takes yeah. certainly confidence. Right. And you will always be able, I think, to access those things should you want them. That, that feeling of, oh, I gotta get this done. I gotta get that done. That you'll always be, that will always be there. Yeah. But getting some confidence will allow another choice to be there should you want that choice. And I cooked a lot of chicken and showed a lot of movies. So I, <laughs> see how I gotta put myself down there because I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm you did. That was a like total re- Freedom. <laughs> <laughs> gonna sound like a know-it-all i gotta kick, no, deflect deflect i gotta kick me before the listener gets a chance to that's, <laughs> totally yeah, totally it <laughs> is a fake fart <laughs> so maybe <laughs> that'll negate everything that was said in this conversation <laughs> do you uh normally i go out on the the show with uh we trade uh Loves things that we love yes would you like to uh, imp- I would love improvise to. some of those yes we trade back and forth Yes, we oh trade God, back so and excited. forth. Okay, good. You have a list? Uh, I do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading some listeners. I'm actually going to improvise some of my own until uh, until I feel like I've I've run out, and okay. then and, and then it I'll cheat. It can be anything. Cheat. It right? can be anything. Okay. But you know, th- I think the less um, run of the mill, the better. You know, right. like I love my children. Everybody knows that. Right. Everybody oh, knows you don't but love I your don't children. Love my yes. children. Right. Everybody. So that can would see be that. a lie. You let them dry on the fucking couch. <laughs> I mean, they're sitting in the car right now yeah. with the windows up. <laughs> Um, we can have some privacy. So, I love. I love a grilled peach, on like a in June, outside after just having like hot dogs, and some rosé. I like grilling a peach, with some vanilla ice cream, and eating it outside. Oh, that does sound good. Mm-hmm. I love walking into my favorite coffee place and having some of the regular customers say hi having some of the staff say hi and feeling 
like there's a place in the world that I belong. I love picking up my daughter from preschool and seeing her, seeing, being able to see her in her little circle with the other kids for a second before she's noticed me. Um, and see, and always surprised by what, um, what a beautiful autonomous person she is. And then when she sees me and her face, the, her, the look on her face, um, like, I feel like my heart's going to jump out of my chest. I just, I can't, you, I feel like I'm going to like, I just feel like I'm going to turn into a puddle just and, and then vapor just float yeah. into the sky. That's beautiful. I love when I get a hot fudge sundae and they also have marshmallow sauce <gasps> and, and I get both put on and there is enough of both because <laughs> I, I almost, oh, I would say 95% of the time they don't give me enough and, uh, I got one on Catalina Island a couple of weeks ago, and there was enough of both. It was the perfect amount of marshmallow sauce and hot fudge sauce, and I was like, this is the fucking greatest. That sounds unbelievable. Yeah. I love Ohio in the fall. I love the smell of burning leaves. Um, I love when the sky gets darker earlier at night. Um, I love all things Halloween. Um, I love putting on sweaters. I love snorkeling and that moment when the waves kind of start to move you a little bit too close to the rocks <gasps> and it gets a little scary and then you paddle away and I just love that. I just love that experience of feeling like like you're improvising with the ocean, like the ocean has its this power, and you're kind of almost flirting with its with its power, but you're respecting it. Jesus, I love um, uh, I love a road trip. I love I love when it's the I love when it's the four of us um, in a in one car with a suitcase where everything, I feel like everything I need in the whole world is in the, the smallest little, you know, metal machine. Um, I love putting my feet up on the dashboard and just listening to, to dumb music really loud with them. I, I totally relate to that. Cause I think what I love about when you take a road trip and all your stuff is in one suitcase is you feel like, you've simplified your life and all the chaos and all the loose ends and all that stuff. You've given your permission yourself permission for 48 hours or whatever yeah. to just boil it down to this. And you're just going to love it. Not question that. Oh, I should be in the living room doing this. I should be. Totally. Yeah. When you have like a toiletry bag, like there's nothing yeah. more satisfying. This might feel like my OCD, but I love, I love like a clean drawer. I love opening a drawer yeah. and being like, ah, oh, everything has its place. Yeah. She was a Montessori kid, so maybe that's why I breathe. <laughs> I love that we've talked for over an hour <laughs> and we didn't even touch on your OCD. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even touch <laughs> so, And then until next time. So I'm going to have to have you back. Fine. <laughs> Catherine, thank this you. This was heaven. Oh, I feel like I you. should now write a check to you, though, <laughs> for your 
therapy services. Well, I feel the same way. Okay, so good. we'll just, so we'll we'll just call, call it a draw. draw. <laughs> As Thank. I were. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This was worth the wait. Yeah. Was there anything that you wanted to plug? No. Okay. Except my God, no. you mouth might, hole. <laughs> you, might, you might appear selfish <laughs> Except my needy. butthole. <laughs> It's up for No, right. but thank you. <laughs> Many thanks to uh, to Catherine Hahn for uh, a great episode. I really, really enjoyed uh, interviewing her. Um, before I take it out with a couple of, uh, well, not a couple of, uh, one survey and one uh, email from uh, from a listener. Um, I want to remind you guys. Oh, the website for uh, my friend's towel, the bamboo towel is getzoo.com, G-E-T-Z-H-U.com. And uh, and you can support our show non-financially by going to iTunes and giving us a good rating. That boosts our ranking, brings more people to the show. And um, you can also support it by spreading the word on social media. That's always greatly appreciated. All right, enough of my yakking. I am going to read a survey... That was filled out. This is from the Shame and Secret survey. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Frida. She's straight, uh, but uh, qualifies it. She says, but I have a big crush on a lesbian friend. Um, Frida's in her 40s, was raised in an environment that was pretty dysfunctional. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? She uh, writes, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. Uh, I've blocked out many childhood memories, but a neighborhood man would fondle his daughter, my friend, in front of me and showed himself. Uh, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's sexual abuse. Um, also, it seemed like I was constantly attracting crazy older men while walking down the street with my friend. A man pulled over his car, opened the door, leaned out, and started jacking off. Same thing in the library in the hardware store. These times I was with my parents and they didn't do anything. I don't know what's more alarming, the, these guys hanging out of the car, whacking it, uh, or in the library or the hardware store, or your parents not, not doing anything. Um, how could that not fuck up your your opinion of, of men? You know, one of those things happening, uh, I would think, would, f- would make men scary. Um, Deepest, darkest thought, she writes, that after 12 years of misery and dragging my mom down, my sick father would finally die so that she could have a little life before her Alzheimer's totally consumes her. Um, what sexual fantasies are most powerful to you? She writes, I don't have any. I struggle for them, actually, because I'd like to like sex, but sex makes me embarrassed. It makes me feel stupid, all that emoting and physical pleasure. But sometimes I play the role, the perfect sex partner, and hate every moment of it. It's like living outside my body. That makes me so sad, and yet that is such a common thing that I read in the Shame and Secret survey. There are so many people, there are some men that feel that way too, but it mostly seems to be a women who were, who were sexually abused. And, um, they don't, and they feel like it's a shortcoming of theirs that they're, that they're this way and they blame themselves. Um, and continue on with, with what she wrote. Um, uh, what are your deepest, darkest secrets? She writes, when I was about 10, my father got up in the middle of the night with his rifle. And I'm sorry this is so dark, but this is, you know, this is the show. And I, I sometimes will save the darker stuff for the end so that if it's too dark for you, you can just turn it off and you won't, you won't miss the rest of the show. Um, 
father got up in the middle of the night and went to the garage to kill himself. My mom stopped him, got the gun, and put it in the under the covers in bed with me to keep it from him. When I told my mom about this memory, I was an adult uh, before her Alzheimer's, she said, well, it wasn't loaded. My sister said the same thing when I told her. It wasn't loaded. As an, a young adult, my brother hit on me when we were really drunk in the hot tub, and I fell for it. Uh, this secret I will die with. Won't even tell a therapist. Uh, I watched my dad beat my older sister many times, and no one helped her. He beat me too, but not as bad, because I tried really hard to be the good girl. I learned from my sister not to fuck up. I married young, uh, 22, to a wonderful man who rescued me from my crazy home. He loved me deeply. Um, I screwed around on him many, many times. I was horrible, and he just kept on loving me until one day he couldn't uh, anymore. After 17 years, he finally had an affair himself, and I never took full responsibility for the failure of our marriage. I hate my father. Uh, I want to love him and be compassionate. Uh, He's horribly sick, but I am repulsed by him. He acts like he was a great father, but he hated us. We were never good enough or smart enough. He went back to college to get his law degree with four young children at home, but he never supported us going to college. He never told me he loved me until I spent a month in the hospital with him this year. Now we, me and my siblings, show up to take care of him like he's some great patriarch. We still pretend. I want to tell him how fucked he was as a dad, but I'm afraid it would kill him. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? She writes, I feel guilty, like I need to, quote, just get over my childhood. Oh, my God, that that is why I wanted to read this survey. Frida, any person that is hearing me reading your survey is thinking to themselves, you cannot just get over that kind of stuff happening to you. No human being could just get over that. Um, She continues, I feel burdened like I will always be fucked up. I beat myself up for not being able to forgive my dad. I'm pissed because everyone around me acts like he's some great guy and is amazed by his will to live. I feel crazy because I want to scream that his will to live is just another play to control us all. Um, Just want to give you a big hug, Frida. I just want to give you a big hug and encourage you to tell your therapist everything. I tell my therapist everything, and it it opens the doors for them to help you. It opens way more doors for them to help you. They are not there to judge you. They are not there to judge you. And I want to wrap this up with a uh, an email I got from a woman who uh, just wants me to refer to her uh, by her first initial, so I'll call her H. And um, she writes... Um, There have been a few times where I've started to take a survey but never completed it. I've been compelled to email you about certain episodes, particularly to compliment you on a certain show, especially the one dedicated to the listeners. Uh, I'm plugged into my iPod listening to Cara Santa Maria, and I've found my topic where I can chime in. Mothers who deal with depression. Here's a quick picture. Mother of four kids. 13-year-old boy, 10, 8, and 6-year-old girls. All great kids. Really, they are. 
I fight depression and anxiety daily, and I take Effexor. From the perspectives of others in my community, I've got it all together, but I don't. I fight this every day. To make things more interesting, my husband of 15 years is in Afghanistan and has been deployed for about six months now. So it's me, four kids, our pets, our house, their homework, their schedules, bills, responsibilities, laundry, dishes, trash goes out, oil changes, lawn mowing, etc., it's totally overwhelming some days. Uh, even today, during the show, you and Kara were talking about not wanting to get out of bed or wearing the same clothes for three days, not wanting to do the dishes in the sink. I claim it's because I simply don't have enough hours in the day, but the truth is, I don't really care. It'll be there. Who cares? So every day, I try. I don't think my kids would know I fight this. I really try to pull it off and keep it together in front of them. I wonder if my son would agree. I wonder if he sees right through it. Uh, she has in parentheses tears now. What kills me is that through all of this is that people don't understand and I want them to. Example, parents of two kids, both parents home every night, and then I hear them complain about how much they have to do. Really? Don't come to me and bitch. It's just me. It's just me. I have no backup plan, no go-to person, no one to comfort me at night and hug away my fears. On top of all of that, I worry that the love of my life won't return from his deployment. There's so much on my plate that I can't even get past it. Well, my point was to just acknowledge that you are correct. Being a parent dealing with depression and anxiety is a tough thing. When I listen to your show, it makes me feel that I'm not alone. Thank you for producing this show and exposing people to the realities that many of us face um thank you and i i'll, I'll read you what i what i wrote back to to her um h i'm so glad you wrote me your email really touched me i started to write you a different email i started to suggest talking to your doctor and seeing about tweaking your meds i started to suggest a support group for spouses of soldiers i started to suggest going to the forum and post on a thread that i started for moms and then i thought what you might need is just a big fucking hug across the internet so imagine all the people out there who are just like you and me who cry by ourselves and try to put on a brave face whose brains are flooded with dark thoughts that we quickly brush aside but don't really get relief from because they just make us feel broken or weird or weak. Think about all the people who wake up and immediately think, I can't do this. I can't do this again. I'm too tired. Why me? I wish I had died in my sleep. Think about all of us holding your hand, hugging you, crying with you, and laughing with you about how much we cry and in what ridiculous places we start to cry and over the strangest things. Not being able to find a parking place, getting disconnected while on hold, spilling food, not being able to find a pen. Just focus on today, this hour, this minute. Do what is right in front of you. Let go of the results. It's okay if we make mistakes. Fuck perfect. Perfect is an illusion that degrades our chance for serenity. Trying is enough. Don't worry about tomorrow, because we can't live tomorrow today, and who knows what it will bring. Most of all, keep reaching out. Keep talking about what you're feeling so it doesn't build up. Find people who understand and are safe to talk to, 
and let them help you. Let them be amazing friends or therapists or support group members. Most people want the chance to be amazing and supportive and helpful, but when you isolate, you deny them that opportunity and you let your feelings overwhelm you. There are millions of us who feel overwhelmed. You are one of many. The longer I'm alive, the more people I meet, the more I think that we are what normal is. You are not alone. You are not even close. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.